Our good Lord, we ask that Your Word would be a lamp unto our feet and that it would be a light unto our path and that by it we might see Jesus, Your beloved Son, and be changed by Him. It's in His name we pray. Amen. So a few years ago, I chaperoned a trip to Andersonville where the Confederate Army had this prison where they would keep prisoners of war who were captured in battle. And prisons today are no place that any of us would want to live, but it's a whole different story when it comes to a prison camp during the Civil War. And so think about being in South Georgia, well below the Nat line, uh, a muggy, hot summer, 20-foot walls built up around open pasture, and around you are around 30,000 other prisoners of war, somewhat jammed together. There's no running water. There's just a stream that runs through this camp that's filled with all sorts of mess. Often your, your daily food is just uh, corn cobs, not, not the actual corn, but just the cob ground up and given to you as some kind of mush. There's no shelter here, just a few tarps, some blankets, and and there's no way out, and you have no idea how long you are going to be there. Uh, there's one Union soldier who, when he arrived at this prison camp, he wrote this down. He said, as we entered the place, a spectacle met our eyes that almost froze our blood with horror and made our hearts fail within us. Before us were forms that had once been active and strong, stalwart men, now nothing but mere walking skeletons covered with filth. And many of the men with us in the heat and the intensity of the feeling of the moment exclaimed with earnestness, can this be hell? God protect us. And all thought that God alone could bring them out alive from so terrible a place. Now I want you to imagine that you've been there. You've survived it. The war's over, you have been set free, and you travel back one day just to remember what it was like. And when you look there, the war is over, the guards have left their post, the gates are wide open, and when you go in, what you see is a group of haggard, worn down, sick, hopeless soldiers circled around, lamenting the fact that they're prisoners and they can't get out. Uh, what would you say to them? Probably something along the lines of, what are you still doing here? The war is over. You have been set free. Why are you still living as prisoners? I want you to take that because that is basically what is happening in this text this morning. Good news has come to people who are in prison that there has been a liberation, a setting free, and there is a danger of running back and living as if nothing had changed. Back to living in prison. And it all boils down to this. We, we are called to see and live in the freeing power of the cross. And in order to get this, in order to to live it out week after week, there are three things we need to grasp. The first is the enslaving power of sin. 
The second is the freeing power of the cross. And the third is what it all means for us. So enslaving power, freeing power, what it means for us. First, the enslaving power. This whole discussion, what's happening here on the freeing power, begins with a simple question in verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, if the gospel is as good as you say it is, if it means that somehow our guilt is taken away so that we are forgiven fully, past, present, future, the things we do will not come back to haunt us, then why should we bother to follow anything that God says? And why should we take sin seriously at all? Why does it matter how we really live? So years ago, People Magazine did this survey uh, to, to explore how people in our culture thought about sin. And so they came up with what they called it was a syndex. So this is an index of different sins where they categorize things from murder to parking in a handicapped spot. And they came up with this rating system that rated it based on how bad it really was. And they asked people about how they had lived in this past month. And it turns out that people are really pretty good. They only committed an average of 4.64 sins a month. And while partly joking, it's a, it's a partly serious reflection on how our culture thinks about this thing that we call sin. That sin equals these occasional things that we do that aren't good. I want you to compare that with how Jesus talks about sin. So he's talking with the religious leaders of the day. And he says, if you listen and follow what I say, you'll be my disciples and you'll know the truth. And what's the truth going to do? It's going to set you free. They hear that and they look at them and basically they say, you're crazy. We're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. How are you saying that if we embrace this thing you call truth, that we will be free. Jesus' answer, truly, truly, I tell you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And if the Son sets you free, you will be truly free. In the eyes of Jesus, who knows better than anyone else, sin is not just these few actions and thoughts that we have, it's more, it is that, but it's more than that. What Jesus sees is sin as a power. A power that has influence. A power that can enslave. That can exercise dominion and that can lead to death. It doesn't give life, it takes it away. And this concept is picked up on and run with in our chapter. And there is so much in this chapter that we will not be able to touch on, but here are just a few things of how it talks about sin. Verse 6, sin is something not just that we're guilty of, but that we are enslaved to. Verse 12, sin is something that reigns with power. Verse 14, sin is something that exercises dominion. Verse 18, sin is something we need to be set free from. Verse 20, sin is something that keeps us from being free to follow God. Verse 23, sin is something that leads to death. 
in, in Paul's mind and in Jesus' mind, our problem is not just 4.64 mistakes every month. It's that there is a power that is out to take our life away and keep us enslaved. I want to give you a picture of how this works. And I want you to think about the internet and social media. And this is, this is the frontier of freedom. The internet. Free knowledge. Freedom to listen. Freedom to watch. Freedom to share. Freedom to take in. It's this frontier where you can go and explore and do as your heart desires. But what looks and feels and smells like freedom may not be that. Many of you have seen the social dilemma of it, where they interview the brains and the masterminds behind so much of social media, internet browsers and apps, things that we consume every day, things that we consume freely. I want you to listen to how they talk about what's happening. These are actual quotes. There are only two industries that call their consumer, their customers users, illegal drugs and software. We want to psychologically figure out how to manipulate you as fast as possible. We want them to keep doing this with their finger so that they are being programmed at a deeper level. Freedom, remember? We curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection because we get rewarded in the short term. Signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up. And we conflate that with the value and we conflate it with truth. And instead, what it is... so that. All these likes, all these different things we're looking for. It's fake, brittle popularity that's short term and that leaves you even more vacant and empty before you did it. Now listen to this. Because that enforces you into a vicious cycle where you are like, what's the next thing I need to do because I need it back? You see how that works, that cycle? Here's the question that I find most striking. How much of your life can we get you to give us? That's not freedom. That is a power. And I'm not saying social media and, and the internet is bad, but it, it is a beautiful... It's a terrible and scary picture of how even sin works. How much of your life can I get from you? How can I trap you in this vicious cycle of coming back again and again? Greed, gossip, lust, pride, fear, anxiety, self-pity, despair, anger, bitterness, Hatred, vanity, jealousy, they all work the same way like any addiction. They promise something. It's a bait and switch. What you get does not satisfy, and so you go back for more. Creates dependence, 
creates this vicious cycle of worship and needing more. Which is why Paul asked the question in verse 21, what kind of fruit is this producing in your life? It's not leading to life. It's leading to death. This is why when we talk about sin, I'm not, we're never trying to make you just feel bad about yourself. We're trying to help you be free to pursue that which is truly satisfying. And that's why when he asks the question, shall we continue in sin? What's his answer? By no means, which is very strong in the Greek. It's, it's no way. That's crazy. There's no way we can do that. And for that For us to live in this freedom, we need the freedom power of the cross. So when prisoners get set free from concentration camps after World War II, it happens because of big tanks, happens because of big guns, it happens because of big armies. It's power that comes in to liberate and set free so that people are released from what is prison for them. Now I want you to compare that with with how this this dominating and infiltrating power of sin is defeated. You have to go back to a small hill right outside the city walls of Jerusalem where a Jewish rabbi in his mid-30s hangs. He's beaten. He's disfigured. He's bleeding. He's naked. All he is wearing is a crown of thorns. And people around him are mocking him, saying, He saved everybody else, but he can't save himself. Look at the King of Israel. Look at the Savior. But at that moment, we're seeing the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. What looks like humiliation, what looks like defeat, what looks like weakness is the most powerful demonstration of God's freeing work that has ever been made known. Listen to what happened to Jesus there. Verse 9, Christ being raised from the dead, He'll never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. His death was this freeing from the dominion. Verse 10, the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. Jesus' death is like this key that unlocks the prison that we find ourselves in. Verse 5 For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What's happening here is faith is not just saying, I believe certain historical facts. How we are rescued is somehow by the Spirit we're joined to Jesus who is the rescuer. I think about my boys. One of them is too old for this, but I still give my younger piggyback rides every now and then. Go around the house wherever he doesn't want to go, wherever he wants to go but doesn't want to use his legs. In a weird way, salvation is a lot like that. It's not just Jesus doing something for us, but it's him saying, hop on. Because you know where I'm going? I'm going straight through death. And I'm going up through resurrection. And you're coming with me. That's the power of us being united with Him and going with Him into the depths 
into a place where we could not go on our own and coming out from a place that we could not get out of and staying on with him so that we can say, verse two, we died to sin. Verse seven, the one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 14, sin will no longer have dominion over you. You're no longer under law, but under grace. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When I come home, I take a key, I put it in my door, I unlock it, and I walk in. And it's great. I love being home. This key helps me get in there. I don't understand exactly how that key works, but I know that it helps me get to the place where I want to go. Uh, there are some difficult things about what Paul says that's hard to get our minds around. We don't have to understand how it all works except to know that it does work. That this is the pathway to freedom. I don't know what you are stuck in. I don't know what you are trapped in. I don't know what your go-tos are where you go back and back again that leaves you only in slavery. But here is a call and invitation to be set free. Finally, what it means for us. I've shared this story before, but it's one that comes up again and again in my own life and in counseling. And it's a story, Nelson Mandela, he was 44 years old. He was arrested. He was imprisoned for his efforts to end the apartheid in South Africa. And he ended up spending 27 years in prison. Where were you and how old were you 27 years ago? So I was 12. That tells you how old I am. I have experienced a lot of life since I was 12 years old. I've been to a lot of different places. I've experienced different relationships. I've married. I've had a family. I've seen my boys grow up. I've become a pastor. I've gone to high school, college. There's, there's so much life that is trapped in 27 years. So as, as he gets released, if you have missed out on 27 years of your life and you're being released as a 71-year-old, what are you feeling in that moment? What do you feel like has been taken from you, has been stolen from you that you cannot get back? When he reflects on his experience later, he says, as I walked out of the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, that I would still be in prison. What he's saying is there's a way that I can be set free and I can walk through these prison gates so that there's no guards, there's no guns, there's no, there's no bars keeping me in, but I'm still trapped. I'm still enslaved. I'm still in prison. And I have a choice to live in slavery or to live in freedom. Paul's message is choose freedom. Choose life. Verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin. Verse 12, don't let sin reign in your bodies. Verse 13, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Verse 13, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Verse 19, present your members as slaves to righteousness. Because here's the crux of it all. Verse 16, and we're landing the plane. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to God to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? Case in point, you're going to... Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 1. Either serve God, that leads to life, or we replace Him with these substitutes that never deliver and lead to death. Money, possessions, prestige, influence, security, family, comfort, health, not bad things, but if they become the center of your world, they will not deliver and they'll leave you trapped and in bondage. And Jesus shows a new way, and I'll close with this, which way will you choose or who will you choose or what will you choose to serve? And as you look at Jesus and you consider His invitation to follow with all that you are and you're wondering, do I, do I really put all my eggs in that basket? Is He really trustworthy? I want you to go back to the cross where we see how far our God will go to be good to us. And as we see, as we get in this Lenten journey closer and closer to the cross, the question is, why would we not trust? Why would we not follow? Why would we not live in this freedom? For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. If the Son sets you free, you're free Indeed, let's pray. Our good Father, we thank you for this work that you have accomplished with your Son and with your Spirit working together, that we mean that much to you. You have gone to such great lengths to liberate us, to unlock us from these chains, from these prisons, from a life of slavery. Would you help us to revel in that reality and help us to live in this new freedom? Help it to be very practical in the day-to-day choices that we make, to let go the things that lead to death and to embrace and hold on to things that lead to life. And we thank you that you have promised that the one who began this good work in us will bring it to completion. We are yours. Help us. Amen. you'd stand and, and join us as we continue to sing and celebrate.